With their bonnets and beards, their horses and buggies, the Amish have long been the subject of fascination, maybe a little romance. Some Amish shun electricity and plumbing, part of a religious commitment to simplicity. Well, now a top US court has upheld their right not to install septic tanks on their land, despite a local law. The case offers a window into a 500-year-old lifestyle. Professor Stephen Nolt is with the Young Centre for Anabaptist Studies at Elizabethtown College in Pennsylvania. The background of the case here is that there's an especially conservative and traditional, even by Amish standards, a highly traditional Amish subgroup in Fillmore County, Minnesota, who doesn't have a practice of indoor plumbing. And the county was mandating that homes install traditional conventional septic systems. The Amish there didn't want to do that because that's not the way they build their homes and that's not the sort of technology that they use. They offered instead to have an alternative system that was a mulch basin system that allows what's called gray water, that is not sewage water, but water, say, from washing dishes or washing clothes, to diffuse through a underground wood chip basin that filters the water as it drains. And while primitive, it's something that's permitted in other jurisdictions. The county in, in Fillmore refused that, and this played out both at the state court level and then went to the U.S., Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court did not exactly rule in favor of the Amish, but in a sense they did. They sent the case back to the state courts and said, the state courts, you need to look at this again because it appears that the state of Minnesota is making all sorts of exceptions to their gray water rules for all sorts of groups. You can't deny the Schwarzenegger Amish an exemption just because their argument is based on their religious beliefs. It did have a religious it, liberty it, it, element to it. It did. And so the Supreme U.S. Supreme Court was telling Minnesota, you need to look at this again and take their religious beliefs more seriously. Now, at the core of their objection to installing a grey water septic system was what? That uh, this is a mechanised system and the Amish prefer to do things in a very natural, basic way? Yes, in a sense. My uh, hesitation in just giving a full-throated yes to that way of putting it is that the way you phrased it is the way that you and I, that non-Amish people, would situate it. That is, we begin by putting technology in the center and saying, oh, this is a technology that you know, the Amish want to use or don't use or so on. From the Amish perspective, and this may seem like a subtle distinction, but they're thinking about a way of life as they understand it that's mandated by Christian simplicity. And so that has all these sort of technological implications in terms of how they're using technology. But for them, it's less about analyzing each piece of technology and more saying, look, this is our way of life. And if we start making sort of significant changes to that, that's going to very quickly sort of unravel the goal that they have of a way of life that's based on simplicity, on cooperation, on community, on elevating the community and minimizing individual autonomy. So it's not as though they sit around and are saying, what do you think about the ethics of indoor plumbing? That's sort of not the angle that they're coming at it from, even though when you get to a court case, it really is about a specific technology. But kind of from their perspective, it's actually broader than that. You made a reference there where you said this was one of the 
the most traditional Amish communities. It is actually much more diverse than people think the entire Anabaptist world. But in what way is it super traditional? There are about 370,000 Amish people in the United States in 32 of the U.S. states. And Minnesota is home to about 1,400 Amish people. And this particular community that we're talking about is about eight or 900 folks in one county. There are about 600 different geographically distinct Amish settlements, we say, across the United States, ranging from some that are include maybe only 100 or fewer people and then others that include thousands. So this particular group is a group that's known as the Schwarzentruber Amish, and they've been around since the 19-teens as a sort of distinct group for a little more than 100 years. And from Germany, I think, originally. Virtually all Amish immigrants came from what is now Switzerland or southwest Germany. Some of them came from the Alsace region that's now in France, but they would have been German-speaking when they immigrated, yes. Yeah, so when you, if you met a member of the Schwarzentruber community, what would he or she look like? How would they be dressed? Um, how would they be traveling? They travel by horse and buggy. If they need to travel a distance that is further, they would perhaps prefer some sort of public transportation, maybe a train or a bus. If there's a like emergency, they may ask a non-Amish neighbor, like a medical emergency, to drive them someplace. I think it was 2018. I was in a Schwarzenegger Amish community in New York, and a particular family that I was interacting with had a small boy, uh, son, about seven years old, needed to go to, to the doctor, and I volunteered to drive them there. They were living in a kind of remote area. At the end of that trip, I asked the father. We were waiting in the like urgent care waiting room, and he said that. Well, well, this was the first time that his son had ridden in a car. Now, just to give you a contrast on the, the variety of Amish experience, the Amish here in southeastern Pennsylvania, where I live, also travel by horse and buggy, but they will arrange drivers, hire drivers, or ask non-Amish folks to drive them places quite frequently. So here in Lancaster, you'd be hard-pressed to find a seven-month-old Amish child who had not yet had a ride in a car. Here was a seven-year-old boy who, if he hadn't had to go to the urgent care that day, he still wouldn't have had a ride in a car. What is the Amish view about uh, church and state and the relationship between the two? Because it does go to the idea of whether a civil court can make these kind of rulings. Going back to their origins that stem ultimately from the time of the Protestant Reformation, they were a persecuted minority known at that time derogatorily as Anabaptists, meaning they practiced adult baptism instead of infant baptism which was a capital offense at the time. So they have a history of being persecuted, of having a fairly sharp sense of separation of church and state. They're not anarchists. They would say they want to respect government as far as possible, but that government, to use maybe a kind of very contemporary language, government is a necessary evil that needs to stay in its own lane. And in terms of the life of the church, the church should respect government, but the church is following what it understands as uh, a way of life that's enjoined by the Bible and by the church tradition. It's an understanding that has sort of tension within it, because the Amish will say, we need to respect government, we need to pray for government, and so on, where government plays a sort of necessary role in God's economy, but it's not for us. It strikes me, Stephen, that because there's a certain romantic perception about Amish life, simplicity, harmony with nature, I've often wondered if the Amish were perhaps the one conservative religious 
religious movement in the United States that liberals could embrace? That's an interesting question because I think that has shifted a bit over the years. The popular perception of the Amish is one of those things that tends to say more about the rest of us than it actually does about the Amish. And sometimes they are you know, the darlings of a particular slice of American society and a generation later, that may all change. And so at one point, I think they were uh, held up as examples of in the 1970s, as small as beautiful and live off the grid and so on. And then by the 1990s, in some of those same circles, the perception had changed and the Amish were seen as patriarchal, not accepting of individual expression and autonomy. Mm. All those things are broadly speaking true of the Amish and always were, but in different decades, different uh, non-Amish audiences are kind of picking up on different aspects of Amish life, either to valorize or to criticize. I have a, a colleague who says the Amish are uh, often considered to be too good to be true or too bad to be believed. And we sort of toggle back and forth between those two opinions. But isn't there a kind of, let us say, upper middle class liberal enthusiasm for Amish produced uh, foodstuffs and uh, Amish furniture? It's seen to be authentic, which is an extremely important you know, part of that thinking. Yeah, there is, I think, in many ways, uh, an Amish brand in terms of craftsmanship and skill and organic produce and, and these sorts of things, all of which, again, are not inaccurate, but are sometimes more part of someone else's marketing of the word Amish than the Amish themselves. Very good to speak with you. Fascinating. Professor Stephen Nolt, he is with the Centre for the Study of Amish and Anabaptist Communities at Elizabethtown College in Pennsylvania. Stephen, thank you for joining us on the Religion and Ethics Report. Thanks for having me. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.